So we are reading through the Bible together as a church over two years, and this week we were in 1 Samuel, uh, week 35, and this, the series that we're doing, if you're, if you're visiting or you're, you haven't heard about this, it's called Mission 119. You can go to mission119.org, and you can sign up for free, and it reads the scripture to you for the day. It's about a 10-minute reading, and then, there, then it reads to you a commentary from this guy, John Soper, who's a, who's a really great guy that I actually know personally. And it's been really enriching to, for everyone that's done it. I have so many conversations every week with people who are reading through, and even this morning, uh, and just getting something new from the Word of God. So I really encourage you, as strongly as I can, to, to, to jump into that program for week 36 next week. We're still uh, in, uh, I think we are in Chronicles next week, I believe, and some Psalms. And it, it's, been really, it's been really great. Uh, there's also an app for iPhone and in the Google Play Store. You can search for that, and it's all, it's all free. So the big news of that is that John Soper is coming to New Life on October 27th and 28th. So I just confirmed it this morning with him. So mark your calendar for Saturday night. We'll probably do a 6.30 hangout time with Soper, and then... On Sunday morning, he'll be sharing with us from the pulpit. And we'll get, to, get time to hang out with him and meet him. Uh, so it's really exciting. I'm really glad that worked out. So the, the, uh, the voice will be matched to the human that you can, you know. No one has seen Soper. But you will see him. And it'll be very exciting. He's going to bring his wife as well. So that's exciting. Uh, th- this week, I really felt God speak to me through this little story in 1 Samuel 21 and 22. Um, so I'm excited about what God has today. It's going to be a little bit different today, to be honest with you. Uh, the vision that God gave me for the, for the message is kind of like just different. There's a couple songs that uh, God, God put on my heart to ask him to help me write some songs based on a couple of psalms from this past week's reading, and God provided. They're not great songs, but they're, they're songs, and I'm excited to play them with you and, uh, and play them for you in, in the sermon. So it's, that's the kind of week it is, just a little bit different. So historic Christianity, the, the, the Christianity that we're part of, um, that we come from, is, you could, you could honestly say, it's oppressed Christianity. Christianity has always been under, under the gun uh, from the powers of this world. Uh, from Jesus, who died on the cross, at the hands of the government and the religious leaders of his day, the powers have always been somewhat tipped against Christianity. And uh, there, really haven't been, there really haven't been any times in history where that is not the case. Uh, the same is true also of the Jewish people before, um, before Jesus came. That, and then even through recent events, you know, oppressed, the people of God have been oppressed by the powers of this world. And the Apostle Paul was literally physically assaulted his whole ministry in, in remarkable ways to the point that I remember I preached one sermon from Acts last year when we were going through Acts and he was beaten and stoned and he appeared to be dead to everybody. Like, well, I guess that's the end of the line for Paul. And then oh, he came back. <laughs> so, and he survived that miraculously. He may actually, I actually believe that he may have been dead and that God brought him back to life possibly. It's, it's not unprecedented. We know this has happened before. So Paul was beaten within an inch of his life. He was given the, the 40 lashes minus one, you know, the technicality thing. Um, he, he was jailed. 
And eventually, according to tradition, Paul died a martyr's death. So Paul was, there were real people who were really trying to harm him physically. So that's an interesting thing to think about. Because of anybody, of any of the writers of Scripture, Paul is one of those people that has the right to say, my battle is against a bunch of people. These powerful people in the world that are oppressing me, hurting me, beating me, scourging me. So as much of a, of a right as he could have had to say that, Paul's observation about his oppression was that his oppression was not from flesh and blood, primarily. Not from people. It says in Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, this is Paul speaking, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the, in the heavenly realms. It says very clearly in that passage, not flesh and blood, so not people. There's something behind all of that oppression that is our real struggle. And again, if anyone had the right to say, people are oppressing me, it would have been Paul. But he recognized spiritual darkness in the world and that he was being attacked spiritually. I'm definitely concerned for us as a people, and particularly for us at New Life Fellowship Church, you know, some of the conversations I've had and some of the things that we've been through, that our people are going to get picked off one by one by the enemy of our souls, by these unseen spiritual dark powers in this world, if we don't learn this lesson from the Apostle Paul and stop blaming people when there's actually something else at hand. We're not physically oppressed like the Apostle Paul. Our, our, our oppression generally as Christians in the day that we live in, is often very internal and emotional, and even, even our thoughts. You know, we have needs, we have thoughts and conflicting desires that war within us. Uh, we, we have negative thoughts that lead us into emotional lows. We feel exhausted, we feel alone, like giving up many times. Has anyone felt that way? Like, I just feel like giving up. This is too much. And we get an idea in our head that sticks in our head, and it just circles around and we think about it. And it grows powerfully in our mind. It oppresses us. It, it leads us into sin sometimes. And with the, with the way that our emotions can flare up in us, it can feel almost uncontrollable. And we often assign blame to people and things for how we're doing. We say, if things were different with this person... And we, and we may, in a way, in our mind, we make that person our enemy instead of recognizing there's a spiritual battle going on. That, that lesson that Linda shared with us was so powerful to me because what did God say to her? There's something else going on. There's something wrong with this dude. <laughs> so for your own safety, don't push it and also pray for him because your battle is not against flesh and blood. Mailman is not the enemy. Right? Paul, the man who deserved to say, it's these people, it's the rulers in the synagogue, it's, it's the Roman government. These are the people that are my enemy. He didn't do that. And it allowed him to go before all of those people and speak with boldness and speak without bitterness, to speak without hate, because he knew who the enemy was. But we, we just don't. In our, in our day and age, we have a, a missing spiritual dimension 
in our mindset about how we think about life. And we don't talk about it nearly enough in church, any church, uh, and we don't recognize it. But, you know, the, nothing's changed. There's still powers, rulers, principalities of darkness in this world trying to mess us up, trying to mess with our heads, trying to make us flare up emotionally, and favorite of all, trying to get us to put that on a person, whether it be ourselves, because we are flesh and blood, or on someone else. So it isn't your husband or wife that is oppressing you, okay? <laughs> your battle is not against flesh and blood. It isn't your spouse who's oppressing you. There's something else going on. It isn't your friend or your enemy who's oppressing you. I've heard some stories from some of you that have made me so angry, where you've been mistreated, even in recent days, where there's been injustice. And, I, and I've, I've felt that vicarious anger towards certain people for what they put some of you through. But those people are not the enemy. The battle is not against flesh and blood. The battle is not against ourselves. It isn't something wrong in the church or in our jobs that is oppressing us. There's something, there's a spiritual darkness. How do I know this? Well, in heaven... When Jesus comes and takes care of everything, and everything gets added up in Christ, and everything is cumulatively made right by Jesus, everything will be perfect. Uh, there will be no oppression. It will be, we'll be at perfect peace with the Lord Jesus. Our thoughts will all be right thoughts. Our emotions will all be right emotions. And there will be nothing oppressing with us, messing with us, getting us off track. But the enemy just loves to strategically get us into, into these loops where we get angry at someone, bitter, flesh and blood, flesh and blood. And then we end up causing a big explosion if we go far with that, and then we condemn ourselves. So it's like, then the enemy's like, oh, my work here is done. I'm out. So make no mistake about it. We are definitely in a battle. But if we misunderstand the true enemy... We're going to get picked off one by one, and we're going to miss out on God's best for us. People get kept from God's best for them all the time just by the enemy messing with them and them not recognizing for what it is. I know that I'm not the only one that's at war this week in the spiritual realm, you know? And I'm not, you know, talking in a crazy way. There's literally... There's literally demonic, dark powers inserting thoughts into my mind this week, putting emotions or taking emotions I have and making them bigger and stronger, trying to throw me off. And I have no doubt that the same is true of you. That's one of the reasons why Paul says in Ephesians 6, we'll read the rest of that later, to keep on praying for one another. And you know, when, I, when I'm in worship, we sit in the back because we have the baby and we kind of or feeding the baby and taking care of that stuff and, you know, four kids in here. But I look around here, and maybe you can change your perspective on worship. Look at the, look at the back of the heads of the people <laughs> that are in front of you, or look around behind you. Just start praying for people. Because there's a spiritual battle going on. And the battle is for the hearts of God's people. So we're at war. And the battlefield is many times internal in our day, though in other parts of the world, people are literally still being abused physically and oppressed in those kinds of ways. But here, 
That's not happening. There's other stuff going on. The enemy has different schemes for every person and every society and every culture. And this is a conversation that me and, me and my friend Mike were having. That there's, there's a scheme. And the enemy knows some good tricks. And he, he caters things perfectly for every person, every church, trying to make a, set a trap. So we need to shift our perspective if we're going to make it spiritually. If we're going to make it physically. In order to prevail under these kinds of trials, we need to change our perspective from it's that person, it's this church, it's this organization, it's this coworker, it's my spouse. That's very counterproductive. And realize there's something else going on. And I think that when we learn to do that, we can learn, like David, we're going to read this today, to rejoice in our sufferings. I've always found it I'm not sure how helpful. People say, when you're suffering, when you're under duress, when you're being attacked, you know, worship. And, just, and, it almost, and that's a really good thing to say um, because worship, lifting up in thanksgiving to God can get you out of those kinds of ruts. But how can you worship if you're so focused on the people as being the problem? You know, I think worship becomes a powerful tool when we realize that it's a spiritual battle. We say, God, lift these thoughts from my mind. Anything that isn't true in my mind, show me what it is so that I can renew my mind with the truth of your word. This emotion that I'm feeling, if it's not true, help me to get out from under it because it's, it's dragging me down. And then worshiping him, knowing that the battle belongs to the Lord. I love the passage in James 1, 2-4. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And that's a really... It's, it's, it's encouraging in the midst of trial, in the midst of attack, to, to realize that all of those things are... God is allowing them into our lives because he knows we can handle them with his power. And those things are, going, are the things that are going to grow us. Those are the things that are going to make us like Jesus. That's why I call, you know, I call marriage the pressure cooker of discipleship. Because it's a pressure in your life where you have to learn, am I a self-giving person like my Savior Jesus? Or am I a selfish person who demands their rights? Every day, every moment, that's what marriage is about. Are you going to be like Jesus, and empty yourself for your spouse? Or are you going to demand your rights every day? And, uh, and when we are tested in those kinds of ways, the Bible says that we grow. We grow in perseverance. It produces fruit in us. And let it finish its work. But let's not be derailed by misunderstanding who the true enemy of our souls is. David, if you've been reading with us in, in 1 Samuel, and it's been a delight to read this story again. If you're, if you're behind, I, I, would, I think you should go back to the 1 Samuel. I think it's been a really cool, cool reading. But this guy, David, is described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. So that's a, that's a really cool thing. Was not a perfect guy, made some mistakes, but he was someone that was after God for, in a serious way. And David 
was, like Paul, someone that had physical enemies oppressing him from every side, whether it was Saul or Absalom or whomever. This is a guy that seriously had a battle going on with real people. Uh, But he had this perspective of Paul. The battle is not with these people. The battle is with the powers. And you can see that in the way he lives. And he believed that the battle belonged to the Lord. This is mind-blowing. There were all these men of war uh, in, the, in the army, and the Philistines had their champion, the big guy, Goliath of Gath, who was trained in war, who was constantly killing and gutting people in a horrible way, uh, and, and intimidating people with fear. And Saul and his men were terrified. Saul the king was terrified of this guy, and rightfully so. David uh, comes out and says, who's this person talking smack about God? You know, this, he's, this is not, David was not like a war guy like Goliath was. And David says, um, in verse 47, Samuel seventeen forty seven. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. So he, he just did not believe that the battle was with this giant that was definitely going to kill him. He believed this battle is actually God's battle. And he didn't let his mind and heart be troubled. He just stood up and said, let's do this thing. And you know, God seems to have I thought about it. You know, he used a sling and a, and a stone. And he, if you've heard the story, he swung it around and he hit Goliath in the head. And the, and the stone sunk into his head and killed, and killed Goliath. And I'm thinking that that was a supernatural thing. Think about the impact you'd have to do with your, with your hand to get that rock to go into someone's skull. I and mean, it's really morbid, I know. But David, the, the point is, David actually did go and like face this battle, like physically, he put himself in that position. But he never thought to himself, I got, I'm going to get this done. He thought, God's going to do this. That's a really cool lesson. Because we get so intimidated by the battles that we face that we, we just decide to put them at the bottom of our to-do list. This conversation, this thing I know I need to do, bottom of the to-do list, which, where it never gets done, never sees the light of day. But David, he, he's, he heroically stood, stood head-on with no armor, and he did throw the rock from his sling. But that, that, there's no way that he, he could have thought to himself, this is, this is going to work in my own power. He believed the battle belonged to the Lord through and through. He recognized it was a spiritual battle and it needed to be completed with the power of the Lord. So here are my thoughts boiled down for you for this sermon. It's a spiritual battle dressed in flesh and blood. It is to be fought spiritually. That doesn't mean that we don't face our enemy and face the situation head on. Um, but it means that we have a different perspective when we do it. The battle belongs to the Lord. You better not to pre- presume to fight it on your own. Because if you do, the rock's going to bounce right off that giant and your head's going to get chopped off. That's what's going to happen. This is, it's God's battle. And it's not against flesh and blood, primarily. Okay? So we're going to look at a snapshot of David's life, which really captured my imagination when I listened to John Soper talking on this. I think it was Wednesday of last week. And it's something I call worship in the cave. So in this cave, with David and his men who are hiding, we're going to see what we can learn in that cave. In this scene in David's life, 
he and his companions are running for their lives from Saul, who's breathing out murderous threats, just like Herod did, you know, (laughs) after Jesus. Just like all the powers always have against God's anointed. And in this scene, David and his companions are running for their lives. They're trying to use trickery and trying to trying to outwit, more or less, Saul and his guys. And they end up in this place called the Cave of Adullam. So they're in this cave, and, uh, and they're considering what might happen to them if Saul finds them, right? So to, to kind of update you on, on the context of this story, you remember two weeks ago we talked about Samuel being given to Eli to serve as a priest as a five-year-old, right? Remember that story? Well, Samuel's all grown up right now. He is the priest. And uh, the people ask for a king. And, and God says, if you want a king, fine, have a king. They want it to be like the other nations around them. So God said, okay, if that's, what, if that's what your will is set for, then we'll do that. But he warns them through Samuel, it's not going to go well. Bad things are going to happen, like taxes. Taxes are bad, right? No one likes taxes. But that's, that's what happens when you have a king. These things happen. So Saul starts out very well. If you've read the story this past week, he starts out well. But then he begins to behave like other kings of his day, more or less exactly the same. In 1 Samuel 13, Saul does something that is terrifying in the context of the Old Testament. Saul offers a burnt sacrifice to God, which is lawful only for the priest to offer. This is a big deal. Because his motivation was he was afraid. He was afraid that his men would be restless, that he thought, you know, we need, to go into, we need to go into battle right now. We need to get this done. So instead of waiting for Samuel to come to offer the sacrifice, Saul, because of his fear of people, decided, I'm going to do this. And I really feel like he was lucky that he didn't get just struck down right there. That's a really, if you, in the Old Testament, the priesthood, the Holy of Holies, all of the things that, that was written about how to handle the Holy, not to take it lightly, that God was teaching his people. Think about when, when Uzzah steadied the Ark of the Covenant when it was falling off the cart, he, he got zapped. Not because God wanted to kill people, but because they didn't obey the rules that he set out clearly. And it just happened. And, he, and God's holiness broke out in this guy. So, so I, I, I think that it was a win for Saul. He didn't, get, he didn't die right then. Um, doing something like that. Well, let's look at this passage where Samuel confronts Saul. And in looking at this, you can see that unlike David, Saul didn't really have that perspective that the battle belonged to the Lord. Um, So it says, What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer this burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So Saul's sin was so great that he lost his kingdom 
in that moment. He was still technically king, but through uh, Samuel the prophet, God said, I'm going to be finding someone else. Thank you very much. And uh, as I said, I think that was pretty lucky for Saul. I would have been grateful, I think, knowing what, what Saul should have known about God at this point. So Saul kind of made some half-hearted moves to try to follow God, half-hearted repentance, uh, but never anything substantial. And eventually Samuel anoints David as, as the future king. So David is anointed as king in God's eyes, but Samuel is still technically the king. So there's a time coming when David will be taking over and Samuel will, will, will stop being the king. So from that time on, because of the kind of guy that Saul was, it was on between him and David. Uh, he was going up and down his thoughts, his emotions, his reactions, his actions uh, with David, trying to cause a situation where David would die, trying to throw spears at David, literally, and then finally chasing after David. At this point uh, in the story, David becomes so popular with the people after the Goliath thing that everyone starts chanting, you know, Saul has killed his, his thousands, but David's killed his ten thousands. And, and you know, this is just making Saul so angry. A really interesting and telling uh, section of the story that really shows David's heart and his belief about um, that, that Saul was not his enemy and that the battle belonged to the Lord is in 1 Samuel 24. And David goes into a cave where Saul is. I think, I think he's relieving himself is what I think is happening. Is that right? I think so. So that's not a very vulnerable position to be in. Uh, but David had an opportunity to, to kill Saul. But to show Saul that he respected that he was God's anointed and all that kind of stuff, he cut off a little piece of his garment, and uh, that was kind of all he did. Because he respected that Saul was God's anointed and, and the king, and he was trying to appease Saul's wrath in many ways. So that was from Samuel 24. So Saul believed that David was his enemy, that he needed to take matters into his own hands and kill David. David believed that Saul was God's anointed and that ultimately not his enemy, and he completely trusted God to take care of the battle while running. Um, so David ends up in this cave, the cave of Adullam. And during that time, uh, according to Soper, this past week in, in the readings and some research I did, he composed several psalms, at least one for sure, Psalm, 30, psalm uh, 142. And that's where I want us to dwell with David for a while. Uh, Psalm 142 and Psalm 34. It's a really amazing thing to think of what it must have been like to be in that cave for David. You know, his life is, is uh, in the hands of this murderous guy that's on a rampage, and they're hiding. And they're listening. Their ears are perked, listening. Is there any movement outside? Is there anything going on? And in a moment like that, I think that, you know, that would be a huge struggle for anybody. And what David does is he pulls out his music and he sings a song crying out to God. So I want to take a moment to sing this song for you. And I want to see what we can learn from how David pours out his heart to God in the midst of this trial. What does it look like for the battle to belong to the Lord in the midst of a severe trial?
So in my time with the Lord this week when I was praying and thinking about this, I wanted to develop a song that would match the tone of the psalm because it helps us to understand the emotion that David must have been feeling as he was in this cave uh, waiting to see how God would deliver him. And I want you to just notice this. And I want you to think about a time when you really felt under the gun, when something was going really wrong, and what your reaction was, and who you put your trust in, and how you thought about it. And look at this guy whose heart was after God, and think about the difference it makes. cry aloud to the Lord. I lift my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour before him my complaint, for I tell him my troubles. I cry to I say you are my refuge. I pour out before you my complaint, before you I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you. Watch over my way when my spirit grows faint within me. It is you who watches over my way. I have no refuge, no one cares for my life, no one cares for my life, no one cares for my life.
So what did we learn from that song? Words by David. In duress, in a battle, someone chasing after his life. Well, first, he lifts his voice to the Lord for mercy. He recognizes that even though he's the one that feels like he's being oppressed, that he needs mercy from God to help him. And he complains. He gives the whole complaint to God verbally. He tells God his trouble from his perspective. And every time someone tells me they honestly get to that place where they really complain finally to God and tell him what they're really thinking, that's a moment that the Spirit can really breathe on. Because it's finally you're saying the truth. You're not just praying a prayer that sounds pretty. Cries out to the Lord and he says, You are my refuge. I'm in a cave, but you are my refuge. And when my spirit grows faint within me, I know it is you who watches over my way. So listen to me. Rescue me from those who pursue me. And then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. What a perspective. And what an interesting lesson in community. He's in this cave with other guys. And he's the leader. He has the weight of this whole thing on himself. More than anyone else. And he says to the guys, guess what? God is our refuge. Not just my refuge. God's got us. He hears our cries. It's a spiritual battle. Dressed up in human flesh. It's to be fought spiritually. David knew the tools. And worship. Rising above the fray. And believing the battle belongs to the Lord were David's hallmarks. We're going to close with this song, Psalm 34. This is a song that David wrote when he was fleeing from Absalom, once again, between a rock and a hard place. And this psalm shows David's perspective on how God answers his people. This is one that I'd like you to when I sing it the second time, uh, come up and stand and sing this with me. Not up here, unless you want to. You can. Actually, you know what, Ben? Come on up and play the cajon. Yeah. We brought it out for a reason. But we're going to end on a high note here. And when you get the words, uh, sing along. But think about the battles in your life and the flesh and blood you've been blaming for it. And what else might be going on? And who is the one that can really be victorious? Who owns that battle? And let's have that confidence that David has. He waited on the Lord. Just like we practiced. We didn't practice. Lord, and he heard my cry. He delivered me from all my fears. I waited on the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. The faces never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord, he heard him, saved him from his trouble. 
Sing along. I waited on the Lord and He heard my cry. He delivered me from all my fears. I waited on the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces never cover with shame. This poor man called in the Lord, he heard him. He saved us from his trouble. Oh, oh, oh. The righteous cry out, and the Lord, he hears them. He delivers them from all of their troubles. The righteous cry out, and the Lord He hears them and delivers them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close. To the broken hearted and he saves all those who is crushed in spirit Oh, 
confident assurance the battle belongs to the Lord. You can't lose if you are submitting to God, recognizing the enemy for who the enemy is, and not stop shifting on to people and believe that God's got this. Wait on him. You need not vindicate yourself. I'm going to give you a... Uh, pray this verse over you from Ephesians 6, where I quoted earlier. So please stand and receive this as God's word and his encouragement to you today as you face your own battles, which I don't know about, only you know about. Ephesians 6, this is God's word to you. Finally, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power, New Life Fellowship. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Amen. You are dismissed to your battles. Be victorious, church.